So we are um, continuing in our series in the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, we've been walking uh, section by section and verse by verse, but a little bit of context is needed. We past few weeks we've jumped around a little bit, um, uh, but um, we are in a section of the Gospel of John from basically chapter 8 to the end of chapter 10 where Jesus is in this intense battle or at odds with the Pharisees and Jewish religious leadership. Um, there are links throughout chapter 9 that link it back to chapter 8, and then there's other things that point us forward to chapter 10, where we're going to hear about Jesus as the shepherd of the sheep and how the Pharisees have not been good shepherds of God's sheep. Um, but, but this chapter, chapter 9, demonstrates what happens when the light actually shines. Okay? Some are made to see, like the man born blind that we will read about, while others who think they see are blinded by the light and turn away. Not everyone that we're going to read about this morning in John chapter 9 is healed of their blindness. Although a miracle does happen and a blind man is indeed healed, what we must see in this text is that each one of us, along with the characters, struggle with a, a, a degree to one or the other of spiritual blindness. And the point here in John's account is to believe that Jesus is the only sent one who can heal us from our spiritually blind state. Uh, the, this ultimately is the task of every section of the gospel. Uh, we know John's grand purpose where we see how each sign or miracle, each encounter with Jesus, each description that is accompanied by his name provide, provided by John leads us to believe that Christ, the Son of God, is Jesus. Amen. So if you have a copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open it up to John chapter 9. I'm going to read the entire chapter. If you, uh, want, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are Bibles in the pews around you. I, the, the text can be found on page 859. John writes in John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors of those and, and those who had seen him before as beggars, as a beggar, were saying, Is this not the man that we used to see? 
who used to sit and beg? And some said, it, it is he. And others said, no, it's somebody like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. And so they said, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. And now it was the Sabbath day that when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God. For he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things or do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him who, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But now, but how he now sees, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already. Well, would you not listen? Why do you want to hear these things and hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You're his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man... We do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Why is this an amazing thing? You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And never since the world has begun has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Let us pray. Oh God, there is so much going on in your word here in John chapter 9 to make clear the one we see healing the blind is your son Jesus oh God give us eyes to see pour grace out on us in this time that we may see him that we might cherish him that we might see for the first time with healed spiritual sight and believe and worship him God, I pray that you would be at work in us this morning. That you would help us see as we have sung, as we have prayed. May we see our Christ today, the one who heals spiritual blindness. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the main point of the sermon this morning is, is that Jesus is the sent one who comes to heal us from spiritual blindness. Jesus is the sent one who comes to heal us from spiritual blindness. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at the spiritual blindness of each of the five characters in John 9 to see how Jesus can heal each one of them. I want to look at the disciples, the neighbors, the parents, the Pharisees, and the blind man. And then I want us to see the healing balm that Jesus is for each character, even though only one of them is healed in the text today. Because I believe that Jesus can heal from all forms of spiritual blindness that we see in the text. I believe that Jesus can actually heal anyone from blindness that they may have, especially from spiritual blindness. Jesus is the sent one who can and does heal each one of us from our blindness. So today, this sermon is for you if you're blind to seeing Jesus as the sent one and healer for all of your hope and blindness. Please listen to the healing Jesus, the healing that Jesus can provide you today. Because 
In all honesty, we all identify with one or other of the characters in the story. All right. This time is also for each of us who were once spiritually blind. May we be encouraged by our healing and continue to persevere and keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the one who has come to bring us ultimate healing. So let us look at the disciples there in verses 1 through 7. What's their ailment? What is their blindness? Well, the disciples are blind to the potential of God's glory to be manifested through miraculous healing. They don't see any other possibility. There's only two reasons this man can be born, can be blind from birth, they say. Because they believe that blindness, especially congenital blindness or blindness from birth, must be due to someone's sin. Mm. I mean, Jesus, like, if this guy's blind, somebody sinned, either him or his parents. Somebody did something. That's right, brother. Either this man sinned or his, in his mother's womb, or the parents committed some grave sin, and now God has punished him with blindness. Here they are consistent, though, with their religious heritage that said that sin and suffering are intimately connected. However, their theological curiosity leads them to a false dichotomy that Jesus has to correct. Their theological curiosity leads them to a false dichotomy that Jesus must correct. In general... We all know that we live in a broken world. Can I get a testimony? Like, I mean, we live in a broken world, right? There's jacked up things in this world. Corrupted by sin. And God has indeed partially judged the world of the rebellion and treason that sin really is. That we die because our first father, Adam, sinned and rebelled against God in the garden. That's judgment of God. The connection on a large scale is true. However, that is the connection between sin and suffering is on a larger scale is true. However, when we move from the global effects of sin to those, those effects on individuals, we must note that the scripture reveals there are two possibilities. Two possibilities. One, illness or suffering can be a direct consequence of a specific sin. Verse 12, go read it this week. Or 11's, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 11.30. We often remind you of this when we partake of the Lord's Supper because there were people in the church of Corinth that were sick, dying, and ailing because they participated in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. There was direct connection, Paul says, between their sickness and their death to their sin of participating in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. But the second, number two, there are also times where suffering and illness are not linked to sin. Job, for instance. Or 2 Corinthians 12, 7, where Paul is struggling with a thorn in his flesh. And what does God tell him? I'm not going to take it away. It's so that in your weakness, my glory and my presence may be made known. Mm. 
my power and my strength. So there could be a greater purpose for suffering beyond the sight that the disciples can see with right now. They're blind. Who are our next characters that struggle with blindness? Well, there's the neighbors, the skeptical ones. Anybody ever struggle with skepticism? Those people in the community who would be the best at being able to pull this guy out of a lineup of people they say they know are unable to decide that this man is the blind beggar they regularly see at the temple. Mm. Instead of hearing the testimony of their neighbor, it's me, I'm the guy. They say, as he says, they take him to the religious elite seeking more knowledge about how could it be possible that a man who they think was healed from blindness could actually be healed. How is this possible? We, we need to know. We need to have this knowledge. And then maybe we will praise God. They want to depend on a higher knowledge rather than a true testimony of the healed man. So the disciples are struggling with blindness. The neighbors are struggling with blindness. And then we have the parents. The parents in verses 18 to 23, especially verse 22. I'd like you to note that. You see, the parents of the blind man value the security and position provided to them by their membership in the synagogue even if they believe Jesus is the same. The parents seemingly know the truth but they're unwillingly to boldly cross the line and be a courageous witness of the truth. A courageous proclaimer of the truth. And so what those of us who are reading this text and those who heard this text for the first time and those witnessing what's happening must either identify themselves with the parents who, whose faith was not strong enough to act with courage or the blind man who we will examine here in just a few moments. Who will you identify with? So the disciples are struggling with blindness, the neighbors are struggling with blindness, the parents, and now we get to some of the main characters, the Pharisees, mm. completely unwilling to see Jesus as the sent one, unwilling to see that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. At first... They're in complete disbelief, even upon the testimony of the man who was blind and now has been healed. And, and they're divided. Look with me in verse 16. And some of the Pharisees said, oh, this man's not from God, talking about Jesus. And they, this, this, this phrase, this man, is very derogatory towards Christ. This man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others of the Pharisees said, how can this man who's a sinner do such signs? And they were divided. There was division amongst them. One group is logically correct if and only if their interpretation of the Sabbath is correct. The other group of Pharisees have a weak argument, but ashamedly come 
up with the truth. How can a sinner do miraculous things? How can a sinner do things that we know only God can do? I mean, doesn't this sound a little bit like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 2? Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see, the problem with the Pharisees is they, that they held to a two-law tradition. Two-law tradition. There was the written law given to Moses upon the tablets of stone that he brought down from uh, the mountain. But, but then there was also the oral law that Moses taught to Aaron and the rest of Israel after spending time with God and coming down off the mountain. And the oral law is likely the law that they believe that Jesus has now violated. And he had broken this law because they would have seen what Jesus did to actually make this face mask from, for the blind man as something akin to kneading dough. So, so Jesus is laboring, working, mm. making dough on the Sabbath. That's a no-no. <laughs> this work was forbidden on the Sabbath alone. Now this is really where just I'm amazed. At their blindness. Not only was the work of kneading dough wrong on the Sabbath, but any healing work performed for someone whose life was not in jeopardy. Hmm. Friends, all of our lives are in jeopardy. The blind man's life was in jeopardy, and he needed to be healed. Then the Pharisees, in their division, decide to discredit Jesus. By calling him a sinner. Oh, sinner Jesus. If they can convince themselves and the rest of the Jewish people that Jesus is a sinner, then they have dishonored him. And he will merely be a bygone prophetic footnote in Jewish history. Mm. But... We know, we know, we can read the text. The Pharisees have gotten it wrong. They've reached the wrong conclusion. They misinterpret the law. Jesus is sent from God in ways more profound than any religious authority of Jesus as they could ever have imagined. Mm. They know they are wrong after they've interrogated the parents. As we see in verse 18, what does it say? The Jews did not believe that that he was born blind and had received his sight until they talked to the parents. Hmm. They finally believe that a credible miracle has taken place. But in a strange turn of events, they question the healed man again and press him not to praise God. They're not looking for a worship service when they say to him in verse verse 24, give glory to God, man. No. You don't know what they're saying to him? They're saying, this time we really want you to tell the truth before God. Because if not, God's going to judge you. And we're going to throw you out of the synagogue. Ultimately, if they can convince this healed man of their position and that he has a fabricated story, then Jesus is indeed a sinner playing magic tricks on the street with people. Mm. 
And then the Pharisees stunned me because they act like my four-year-old son in verses 40 and 41. You know when my son is disobedient in my house, uh, I, I spank him at times. There are levels of discipline, but when, when it's time, when he knows he's going to actually get a physical spanking, he says, but now I'll do what mom says. I'll do it now. It's too late, son. But now that you say, we see, Jesus, we see, like you're the one. Jesus is like, now, you're still guilty. You're still guilty. So, parents, the disciples, the neighbors, the Pharisees, all, all struggling with blindness. But then we see the blind man. Sight that leads to faith. And what we see specifically in these verses, verse 7, verse 11, verse 17, verse 33, and verse 38. And I'll say those, verse 7, 11, 17, 33, and 38 of chapter 9 of John. Is what we see is a progression on, of belief that, that is characterized by a growing understanding of knowledge that the blind man has of this man who smeared mud on his face. And what is this progression? Well, the first step is a, a sense of blind obedience. I mean, literally, he's sitting there begging for a few coins, and a man comes and kneels down beside him, spits on the ground, and wipes mud on his face. I mean, like in all honesty, we're standing around looking at what's happening, and we're like, this is a little weird. Like, I mean, that's a lot of spit, Jesus. And you just wiped it on that guy's face. But, but the man obeys. God, Jesus says, go and wash. And what does he do? He listens to the words of Jesus and he goes to the pool and he washes. Blind obedience. And then he moves to, in verse 11, he says, he claims that, well, it's a, that this guy that I don't really know who he is. Well, his name is at least Jesus. I mean, in the commotion of everything that was going on, I heard some people talking in the background and I called his name. His name's Jesus. Mm. And, and then in verse 17, as the Pharisees are pressing him of whether or not this man is sent from God, the blind man says, oh, he's sent from God. He's a prophet. Mm. Only those sent from God can do this thing that has happened to me. And then in verse 33, 33 oh, he is indeed a man of God. Only a man of God, based on all of what you're saying, can do the things that have happened to me, can come to me, rescue me from my physical blindness, and begin to open my eyes to who he is and what he's doing in this world. This is truly a man from God. And then, what does he do in verse 38? Jesus says, you have seen him. He sees Jesus. 
literally sees the Christ before him with open, healed eyes. And he says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe, and you are worthy of my worship. I will not fall down and beg for coins anymore. I will fall down and worship because you're the king who heals the blind. And at the risk of expulsion from the synagogue, the man knows his place because he says, you're pressing me to judge whether or not he's a sinner or not. And I'm not theologically acute enough to make that judgment. But this I know, like every Christian since him, once I was blind, but now I see. But you sang that line in that song a minute ago, in Amazing Grace. I was once blind, but now I see. Do you see Jesus? Do you see the Messiah? And do you worship him? So Jesus now has come. Yes, specifically for the glory of God to be revealed in the healing of this blind man. But he has come to heal everyone's blindness. Jesus brings healing balm to every character's blindness. And he's brought healing balm today to your blindness if you don't see him. Or if you're struggling to see him. The disciples. Now if there is anyone who should quickly overcome their blindness, it's the disciples. Because this is the second time Jesus has miraculously healed someone in his ministry as they have been witnesses and what are they seeing they're seeing the sent one break into world history and begin to establish the kingdom of God with all of its healings and all of its good news and praise the disciples should know this is taking place because this is this is a sign that would come along along with John 5 to demonstrate that God is working to restore all things through the sent one. I mean, this is Isaiah 35 unfolding before their eyes. Turn with me to Isaiah 35 and listen to these verses. I believe it's up on the uh, on the screen as well. Starting in verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and will and with recompense, the recompense of God, and he will come and save you. And so what does it look like when God starts shows up and starts saving people? The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and they and then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground a spring of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become like reeds and rushes. And skip down to verse 10. And the ransom of God, those who see with healed spiritual sight, the ransomed of the Lord shall return 
and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall attain gladness and joy, and sorrow and singing or and sighing shall flee away. Amen. He has gone from a blind beggar to a healed believer in the sight of Jesus to worship him. My, my, how sorrow and sighing have fleed away in the blind man's life. And the disciples are, have a front row seat. They've got box tickets. <laughs> and we, as the disciples, are supposed to be about doing the Father's work. This is what Jesus calls us into. If I'm bringing the kingdom to the earth, I'm calling you as my people to join me, not sit around and be blind Questioners, mm. resting on your theological laurels. Yeah. We, we either join him in working to heal those who have ailments or pray for their healing, or we help people suffer well as they wait their blessed hope and healing in the return of Jesus. Yeah, right. That's what we do as disciples. We get the privilege of working with the Father to establish his kingdom on earth. Are you joining the Father in his work? Are you praying for people you know who are sick and need healing? Are you, are you walking with people, saints who need to suffer well? Are you walking people who don't suffer well and need to know the hope of Jesus? And additionally, I want to point out that this work also pertains to those of us who work regular everyday jobs. There's no need to quit your job if you're a Christian and go into nonprofit mercy ministry or full-time gospel ministry. Now, God may call you into that. I don't deny that at all. But that's not the knee-jerk reaction. No, we can be a part of establishing God's kingdom right where we are by doing good work that demonstrates that we actually love people more than we love ourselves. Oh, yeah. we, work, we work for the interest of others rather than our paychecks and our full bellies. Mm. Additionally, our work with God can be us doing the best work possible because we aim to be the most competent workers in our positions regardless of the accolades. Are, are you willing to be the most competent worker at your company whether or not you ever get employee of the month? Oh Our good, God-glorifying work will give rise to opportunities to bear witness to the hope that is within us, even if we don't see it reflected in our pay grade or our advancement up the corporate or political ladder. Mm. Some of you need to hear that again. Yeah. Our good, God-glorifying work will give rise to opportunities to witness. Even if we don't get a bonus or we don't get a new position. Mm. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. What other position could you want? So that our Christ comes to heal the blindness of the disciples. He also comes to heal the blindness of the neighbors. 
the skeptical ones. Is this really the guy? And is this really happening right now? We, we need to know something. I want you to know this, friends. God sees each and every one of his people, whether your neighbors see you or not. He knows who his people are and he knows what they have been healed from. God cares enough to understand that whether your blindness is self-imposed or you were born with it, neither can stop his healing power. Come on now. We serve the one true God who is deeply personal and intimate, who cares about who you are. And he has provided victory over your sickness, over your sin, and over your death, no matter what the skeptics might say. I'm reminded of an infamous testimony of one of our brothers in Christ that probably many of you don't know, but his name is Jonathan Evans. He's the son of Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans. And he shared this as his eulogy for his mother. He said that he was struggling to understand why God was not um, answering his prayer for his mom. But God revealed to Jonathan that he didn't understand the nature of his mother's victory in Jesus. That victory that we sang about just a few minutes ago. Do you believe today that you have victory in Christ? Because God grants us victory, friends. He was skeptical of God's healing power to do what he was praying for his, what he believed his deserving mother should receive. Similarly, the neighbors are skeptical that God could actually heal an undeserving blind man. But, but that's not the economy of our God. That's not how he works in this world. When he shows up, things change. Amen. See, Jonathan Edwards said under the conviction of the Holy Spirit at his mother's eulogy, the redeemed, the victorious people of God who see Jesus for who he truly is only have two answers to their prayers. Either they're going to be healed or they're going to be healed. Either they're going to live or they're going to live. Either they're going to be well taken care of or they are going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to God, not to the skeptics. And for those of you who may be skeptical today, struggling with your heart of skepticism before God, I want to warn you to be careful that you don't limit God and his care for all of his children, the lame, the blind, the single mother, the woman who's had an abortion, the homeless, or the faithful son of Christian parents. He cares for you. Amen. He cares that you don't make a God out of the answers that you seek. Hmm. But seek the one who answers. Jesus has even been sent to you to heal you from your blind pursuit of knowledge that ignores the one who is the giver of knowledge and truth. Do you believe in that Jesus today? Because he heals from blindness. He heals you. He can heal you from your skeptical blindness. But then the parents, what has Jesus done for the parents? Well, he has come that you might not be comfortable with two gods. Mm. 
Because Jesus is very clear, you will either serve one, but you cannot serve both. We're all tempted in, our ver in various ways to find false security in the arms and ideals of man. And I don't mean men and gender, I mean man as humanity. You know, if, if you could just look like you have it all together in front of those of this person or that, then you're validated because they think more highly of you. Or, or maybe if the right person gets elected, none of us are hoping for that right now, maybe if the right person gets elected, then everything's going to be right in the world. It's all going to be okay. Friends, neither individual man nor governments of men are sufficient to save you. Come on now. Your boss can't take you to heaven. And neither can your elected official give you the keys to heaven. They may be able to give you the key to the city, but not to God's presence. Only the sent one can rescue you from your blind hope in heroes unable to provide eternal life. Only the sent one can rescue you from your blind hope in your heroes who are unable to provide you eternal life. But on the other side of the fear of man is that you may fear them because they can take things away from you. Yeah. <clears throat> so you aim to please men like the parents in the text do because they don't want them to take away their position in life. But we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue, so we're going to suppress the truth. We're not going to courageously proclaim truth. I'm sure none of us have struggled with that at all in our life, have we? <clears throat> but we are Christians we have hope that our body if killed we get Jesus Aaron Stubbs one of our faithful church members said in a sermon that I got to hear him say, hear him preach the other day he said the worst thing that man can do to Jesus and his disciples was done and it didn't work I'm still quoting Aaron here. That's good news. Amen. Why is it good news? Because it proves that we don't have anything to fear. We don't have to fear man. We don't have to fear spiritual death. We don't have to fear suffering for all eternity for our sins. The worst that man can do is kill us and send us to paradise. The worst that man can do is physically kill you. But it's been done and it didn't work. The sent one rose from the dead, conquering death. Jesus' resurrection helps, his resurrection helps us see that the only one who is worthy of our fear is God himself. Right. Fear the one who can condemn you to a second death, not the one who can merely harm your body. Come on now. So Jesus is here to heal blindness. And he's here to heal the blindness of the Pharisees. Ultimately, the conflict here for them is that they believe that they hold the key to understanding God's law. They know what God's law says. Mm. We have the oral law. And we don't think you're obeying Jesus. Mm. However, this is not why John wrote his gospel. 
John has revealed to us Jesus, who is God's word incarnate, God's word in the flesh. Jesus, then, is the ultimate divine disclosure by whom and through whom the deepest significance of the law can be understood. You want to know what God's law says? Know Jesus. Don't assent to the fact that you think you know what God's law says. Mm. So I'll say that again. Jesus is the ultimate divine disclosure of the significance of the law of God. Therefore, what is required, as John so rightly stresses all throughout his gospel, is not our approval of Jesus, but Jesus' acceptance of us. And clearly, Jesus comes to those who have a certain poverty of spirit, a complete humility, an honest assessment of their spiritual blindness. Do you know that you're blind? If you know you're blind, you're in the best possible position you could ever be right now. Mm. Then, upon the humble position of the humble position of an honest assessment of our spiritual blindness, spiritual sight, and eternal life are granted by the hand of Jesus. So, are you blind, or are you seeing? Have you seen Christ? Have you looked long in his wonderful face? There's so much hope and healing in this text for you. There's good news that Jesus comes to sinners who know that they are desperately blind. And confess their need and their allegiance to Jesus and worship him. And if you've never seen Christ today, I call you to be healed of your blindness. Confess your need for him, receiving healing and forgiveness, specifically from your spiritual blindness today. And I would gladly pray for any of you ailing in physical blindness or any kind of physical, I would gladly pray for you. God might heal you. But I want you to know if you believe in Jesus, the one who gives spiritual sight, you will be healed or you will be healed. Come on now. And if this is you today, you're seeing for the first time Christ who saves and heals from spiritual blindness, then I want to talk to you after the service. Or we're going to have some members in the back who will pray with you and talk to you about what it means to see Jesus and follow him and worship. That can happen for you today. So all of the characters struggled with some form of blindness. And even Jesus' disciples struggled to see exactly what was going on. And we do the same. We struggle even today. Every one of us needs Jesus, the sent one of God, to heal us of our spiritual blindness. Each of us struggle with our own forms of blindness to who Jesus really is. And today can be the day that you are healed to see with a spiritually healed sight that Jesus is sent from God to sinners like you and like me. And I'll close with this great quote from from a dear pastor, Charles Spurgeon, 
our, our pastor's spiritual hero. He says this in one of his devotional works. Keep thine eye simply on him. Let his death, his suffering, his merits, his glories, his intercession be fresh upon thy mind. When thou wakest in the morning, look to him. And when thou lie down at night, look to him. See Jesus. Look to him today. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the one who heals. Thank you for the one who comes to help us in our desperate need and with our desperate blindness. May we see him. May we worship him all the days of our life. I pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.